oh man, I don't want to be boring. I'm afraid I'm going to be boring mm-hmm. and I'm afraid of being bored and I don't want to hang around with a boring person. <laughs> so there is some interesting inter- <laughs> inter- deep monologues of Scott. We're, d- we're differentiated. Oh. Hello. <laughs> we're differentiated. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain, more curious life. I'm Scott. And I'm Mace. Welcome to this week's episode where we are going to be talking about experiments in living. This experiment is Mace eats while we record. No, I didn't mean to. I'm going to set it down. (laughs) Go ahead. No, it might be a good experiment. (laughs) I definitely am like, don't want to be... I heard someone, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about uh, the nose of podcasting. It was the Bobcast and they were doing the nose nose of podcasting. podcasting. Was one of them eating? One of them was eating. Ah. And uh, so I'm like, well, I I think most people don't like the sounds of foods and mics. No, I don't think so. I mean, that's uh, that's like ASMR. I know, that's what I'm saying. There is also an audience out there for it that is ASMR audience. I would push back on Knox and Jamie on that one because if it's like, if Knox was eating a little bit of food during a recording, I would have no problem with that. I probably wouldn't either, but I think for some people it bothers them and it's like a turnoff, especially big crunching. But it's like, if you're looking for that, that's another it, thing. I mean, I'm telling you, if it was, if it was the premise, then you knew what you're getting yourself into. But if it was every once in a while in the middle of a conversation, like <laughs> what also are these dumplings? What is it? These are, um, <laughs> These are the Let's Trader Joe's, living. Let's the Trader Joe's have you uh, Philly cheesesteak bao buns. Nice. Which nice. are a, a, an odd combination of things, but also they're quite delicious. Yeah, I wouldn't do it as a no with podcasting, uh, eating. I, would, I, I mean, I, I honestly, it's like one of the things that we did here with us is we don't do this now because we're recording on a Saturday morning with coffee, but we used to record in the evenings in a house with other people. And there was always background noise. Always. And in the early days of learning to podcast, I would hear people be like, Oh, you got to do it in your closet around clothes. So it dampens the sound and you've got to, and I'm like, I guess if it's sort of this idea of like this American life quality or something, whatever that even then maybe, but why I, I don't even need it. It distracts people because I remember that one podcast that I showed you. And that person, that object relations that was, podcast. That was a d- totally different, it's a, different a totally level. different story because, <laughs> because to a certain extent I've thought about like the idea of doing a podcast, like, like there's this, there's this podcast called podcasting outdoors. I, I, I've never actually listened to a full episode, but I watched their Instagram feed and they literally just set up a podcast outside in New York and talk to people as they walk down the street and they have fascinating conversations. It's a great idea. That's super fun. And I've thought about like going to like Easy Street Records here in Seattle and doing a podcast there. I don't know why, but it's just a vibe. Like they have a breakfast spot and it's records and um like I I, well, first of all, I don't think you need to take the mic away I'm, when you're I'm, eating. I'm, you're I'm, doing I'm, it. I'm moving the mic away from my <laughs> chewing this. It's unnecessary. Thing. But like you would have a little background noise, but that to me seems fun. It seems like you're at a party with people and there's there's energy. And if you can't hear the people, then that's one thing. But this person that you're talking about, I always described as like she found 
an old tape recorder that you talk into like an old janky tape recorder, like Kevin McAllister from home alone Two, and went to the bottom of a ginormous swimming pool and put like a pot <laughs> in it, like it, the recording instrument in the pot at the bottom of a pool and is talking across the pool into the thing. Like I, the I, sound is so egregious. I, I always think that she's either doing dishes and there's running water happening the whole time or she's driving a car and it's pouring rain, pouring right. rain. It's because just, there's like sometimes a and she's got this sound. thick Boston accent. It's amazing. Today I mean, we're going to be to talking about, um, Okay, experiments and living. Experiments and living. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Um, what would you What would you describe? How would you uh, associate around what you mean by that? Okay, so um, unapologetically, I'll say like this has been a year of me learning from this psychoanalytic writer, Adam Phillips, and so there are certain themes and concepts that emerge for me. Mace is differentiated and has different themes and concepts, and also is working on a master's program. And approaches these things a little bit different. We're two different people, everybody. <laughs> so there's always going to be a little nuance and a little tweak and a little bit of a different perspective, which is beautiful. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'll put it this way. With Adam Phillips, there just wouldn't be enough space or room to talk about all that has happened. You know? I'll have to say, like, you having the mic away from you is killing my energy. Okay, okay. Because I'm like, I don't know when you're going to jump in. And all of a sudden, I feel like I am (laughs) alone on the mic. Okay, this is experimental. And I'm like monologuing. Experimental living with the the eating the food. We're learning it right now. We're right now. Okay, I'll take my last It looks like you're, it looks like you're, you're still doing it. You're like rushing. You can eat. It's not even that loud. <laughs> yeah, everybody, what I'm seeing here is like I'm trying to talk, and if I I got I got I'm telling you I got sweaty hands because like Mace aggressively like held the mic out into space as they're eating, and I'm like you you're leaving me. It's just this is a monologue now. I'm so sorry. This I need I need help. I won't leave you. I'm no, here. I'm don't here. Leave me. I'm here now. Um. <laughs> The feeling I get sweaty hands when I'm in like high places. Mm. So like, something, like, yeah, I just felt like I was on a tight you're rope. On a, all of you're a on a tower. You're on a bridge. Um, okay. Well then everyone, I have anyways. one last bow bun and I'm going to eat it on the mic. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, if you hear some quiet eating in the background, enjoy this ASMR experience. <laughs> Audio sensory meridian response. We did a whole episode on it. Um, we should do another episode on ASMR. And, it, and Mace has actually an ASMR channel. I on, do, and on, I, maybe I'll bring it back. On Spotify, no less. And I think there's two episodes. Two ASMR episodes. I should make I'm going to have a sip of my coffee on mic. Okay, experiments in living. Mm. What, what it... Okay, so, so um, a few weeks ago we did a, a... Let's see what I can drum up here in terms of a thought. Drum it up. Um, a few weeks ago we did an episode on authentic self. And the takeaway from that, that was novel to me as in new, and it might not be new to others, but it was new to me, is this idea that like you, f- you might find your authentic self through um, moments of spontaneity, mm-hmm. moments of as, as, as much as possible, mm-hmm. a, a spontaneous act that arises out of your sort of like, um, 
lack of super egoic control or something <laughs> like whatever the super ego or ego is doing in terms of keeping certain elements of you in check. Some part of you that is regulating and making you palatable and functional in some way yeah. in the world. Maybe. And and I guess I would say it like this up until then, if you would have asked me casually at a party, what, what is your authentic self? I'd say, well, nobody quite knows what that means. But I think for a long time in my adult years, I'm 43, everybody, I would have been thinking it has to do with certain getting in touch with certain attitudes and passions and uh, things that excited you as a child, original oh, excitement. Yeah, interesting. Right, right. And I think there's something new that we're saying is actually it's more of just the self that's spontaneous and surprising yeah. and fresh. Yeah. That's regenerative. Yeah. And I approach this as a 43-year-old, which I think is and a I little... approach this as a 28-year-old. Yeah, yeah, which I think is interesting because I continue to have, and if I don't know if I'm speaking for some of the listeners over 40 now, encounters with my 40-plus friends, people that are 40 and over, whatever, this age, middle age, am I in middle age? I, I think I'm heading into middle age, where it's like the implication, it seems to me, almost spoken right out loud is you figure yourself out around your mid twenties and now you've become a person Mm. and now you take this person Mm. and that person gets to live out a life as that person with their values. They've, they've, they've discovered their values. They've discovered their interests. They've discovered their job idea that you'll like become an integrated whole kind of adult self at Mm -hmm. a certain age that's stable and their values are sorted through fully or something like that. And I, I'm just telling you, I mean, part of my part of the passion for no small thing has always been creating a space where uh, we can keep learning. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not I don't want to accuse people that are over 40 of not learning. It just seems like uh, uh, I don't uh, think you were until you said I don't want to. <laughs> I, I mean, I was going to turn it into myself, but uh, experiments in living. So Adam Phillips in, in almost every book or essay, he, he always kind of circles back to this concept. And to me, a shorthand version of it would be saying, try things out. It's as yeah, simple I mean, it's, as that. It's really, truly just like a, I think. Uh, and and the idea is you might find a, a life or a passion or a hobby or an interest or something about yourself that you didn't know was there that might uh, really excite you. That might be very fun. Yes. But you will never know until you try, which sounds so simple, but there's a lot more to say about it. Sorry. <laughs> Interrupting you. No, no, no. I, I, I think for me, I, I, it's, it's really truly is just a simple turn of phrase. It's mm-hmm. like whatever you make of that for you is great. This idea of, I would say for me, what stands out with this idea is a little bit of a loosening mm-hmm. and a lightness when you just mm-hmm. say, you know what, whatever this is, this is an experiment in living. Yeah. It's, it somehow kind of loosens you in the saddle of something new that you're trying. Like this is an experiment. I'm Mm -hmm. allowing myself to explore. And I think that there's some level of security and trust that you need in Mm -hmm. yourself Mm -hmm. to kind of let yourself, but it's also through the experimenting that you build that security. So it's kind of like this back and forth that you have to do with like taking steps forward with experimenting with things that, are new to yourself, new mm-hmm. parts of yourself. Yes. Like an experiment. And I, 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 I'm now just 
rambling here, but that's what it's bringing up. <laughs> this whole podcast is rambling. I'm just a rambling. I think that's fool. the moment. I think the I think the moment where you s- start to catch yourself rambling, you should go doubling down. I know because that's ramble that's harder. really yeah. I mean, because I was just settling into listening to you. I was like, <laughs> keep, I'm like, keep going. I'm not like, come on, make it quicker. You know. Yeah, I guess then if we will, is let me ramble. Yeah. I, I think it brings to mind for me, I think I'm, I'm very, um, interested in young children. Mm-hmm. I, I find myself very, um, interested in understanding their inner world and their external world and the experience between the two of yeah. coming into being development. Like I'm very, very interested in how we are go go from being baby to someone who's conscious and, mm-hmm. and and develops into a self. And I feel like this idea of experiments and living, we forget that that's what we've been doing our whole life. Yeah, everything in the early days is it's just experiment. the whole thing new. is experiments. Like yeah. you when you're we're coming into the world, I mean, first off, who's to say what your sense of self is? Do you even know what you are? Yeah. What, what is, you know, what's the difference between you and your caregivers, yeah. you in the external world and you start to grow and it is through the experiments in living experiments in taste yeah. walking. That's how we first come into being. Mm-hmm. And I think we so often, I think that's why I find myself very interested in staying present with young children because I don't want to forget that I'm always still in that place as yeah. well. Like I have my whole life is also continuing the experiments and living yes. just a continuation of that. And I think, yeah, you and I probably both have some internal slash external who's to say what it is, but some kind of object that we're always a little bit frustrated with that feels like it's like, Oh, when you grow up, you become an adult and have these certain obligations that seem to, um, lose sight of that actually know there's lots of things that we don't need to forget about from our childhood. We can continue and maintain into adulthood, almost having a more like robust integrated. Yeah. I mean, there's something about me that has a phobia or fear of being bored. Hmm. And I think I'll just say maybe it is. Daniel's like ears are perking up. Yeah, maybe it is seven vibes. I mean, I just kind of said it right there out loud, right? And and it's like, I guess you could say it's not only adults because there's boring teenagers and boring kids too. But like, I, I oh man, I don't want to be boring. I'm afraid I'm going to be boring mm-hmm. and I'm afraid of being bored and I don't want to hang around with a boring person. <laughs> so there, there is, is some interesting inner, inner <laughs> deep monologues of Scott. We're, we're differentiated. Oh. <laughs> we're differentiated. I don't mind boring people, everybody. You can be boring and basically. Well, I think that's a really interesting thing because I would say, I'll say, say this as a, as a developing therapist, Boredom toleration is so much of the job and the work and something that we in many ways, I think, forget as an emotion and are very, I think we are very bore phobic as just a society. Well, and let's add something to this because if we're going to say Adam Phillips, which I am saying, which if uh, we're going to say, say, (laughs) I I read other people, but, um, okay. So that's what he would say though. That's how he would describe it. That like an experiment in living might be, because it could be anything, um, 
learning to see what happens. Okay, so when so, you're bored, yeah, because because the way he would describe it is we had an early experience or encounter with boredom, and we found what he would call a repertoire of things to avoid that boredom. Mm-hmm. So of course, I have all sorts of things, mm-hmm. and um, maybe the boredom or the frustration whatever the feeling is, is trying to say something to you and there might be a better solution to solving the boredom, but you'll only find it out if you first let that boredom or frustration lead you to a different type of experience um, and you pay attention to it and don't cut it off right away. So right, for me, I would just, say, oh, yeah. go ahead. well, for me, I would say, uh, the, the mo- and for probably a lot of listeners, it's, it's the easiest culprit uh, would be Technology. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like every day I would say, uh, I take little breaks in my workflow with a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's great. And I feel the itch. I feel the itch coming and I've got my little influencers and there's nothing wrong with it. Like morally, but like, you know, I just wonder, it's like, I have this singular repertoire in my day of like waking up Mm -hmm. doing morning pages, which is Mm -hmm. great. But, but then in my middle of the day, it's like, check my Instagram, check my YouTube video. Yep. And there it is. That's who I am. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm that person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's no more to be said about it. (laughs) Right. No, I think, I think that's like exactly it. And I think that's, I mean, it's bringing up multiple things for me because I think that's what happens when you can let something be digested, then it can be transformed. This Mm -hmm. idea of boredom, like it, it does bring to mind, like there is, sitting with a patient and recognizing I'm bored. That's a very, I'll say this as a therapist who's like, LOL, got some level of narcissism that thinks that by being there with someone, I can help them to experience boredom in the presence of another also brings up like, oh my gosh. But actually saying I'm feeling bored, what's happening that I'm feeling bored? Can we sit with that for a little bit longer so as to let this develop Speak. into something more. I wonder if this person I'm with might also be feeling bored and they may also feel their own need to escape. What if I don't put that pressure on there that we need to escape? From, you know? And but I think <laughs> I think about my everyday life and it's like, well, much in that setting, I'm like in my I'm 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 in a very like conscious self. And it's like in my everyday life, I'm like, oh I feel you. The technology, it's like some some kind of fear of like what will happen. And I think for me, sometimes I'm like afraid of doing morning pages sometimes. And it's this thing of like, what will happen if I, cause I'm like, ah, it seems kind of boring. Like, is it, does it seem boring Mace? Or are you kind of afraid what could emerge when you let yourself kind of sit with something a little longer? Or are you more a little afraid of like, what's going to come out? And the other day I was like bored. I I had COVID. So I was just bored yeah. Bored, bored, bored. You can only like do so many things without. You really get up to some cool shit though when you're, when you're bored. Right. When you kind of let yourself, yeah. like it's like boredom came and it's like, well, All now right, we're going to chalk paint my entire <laughs> walkway. <laughs> we're going to make something beautiful yeah. here in the midst of this. But I was doing my pages and I was like, just do one page at least, Mace. Just come on one page. And then it's like, oh, I wanted to write five to six pages. It's like once you mm-hmm. kind of let something settle then whoa contact with something new that could surprise you that you didn't think was there mm-hmm. emerges yep yep yeah i think just continuing to go along with this is this boredom theme 
I guess I am afraid of being bored and it is like, and I'm afraid of being boring. And sometimes my therapist like yawns when I'm talking to him and I'm like, no, no. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and you've kind of told me, cause I would get nervous when you would yawn when we were recording the podcast sometimes. And you said it was more of a sign of relaxing, not boredom. Like I'm just settling think- in and relaxing. And I was like, okay. Okay. But yeah, there's a, there's a panic of like, oh, and, and I think, I think to a certain extent the YouTube videos I'm watching are keeping this guy. We want Daniel to hear this now, mm-hmm. this flurry of, like a uh, mind chatter going like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to like compare it to this. I don't want to watch a clip of golf. That would be the worst thing to watch because it's just quiet. Like, no, like you want not, to, you want to crowd the, your head with other yeah, voices because, that get you going. Yeah, and pinging exactly. And thinking I imagine and somebody you. watching me, myself included mm-hmm. watching golf. And I'm like, this is a boring person. I imagine me watching like the Danny Brown show or an Anthony Fantano review. And I'm like, I'm constantly keeping the learning and the, and this the is an interesting bopping around in my How head. fascinating that yeah. that's like linked up there with you. Yeah. I feel like that's also insight into like, in some sense, you're like, even right now admitting that part of your psyche does purposely distract you. You're like, let me fill my head with lots of other voices that get things pinging. And then why am I so distracted? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So now I have a practical thought about what I would want to say today for myself and anybody listening about experiments and living that's emerging as we're talking. Yeah. I'd want to say like linking up a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the show, uh, uh, like good enough living experiments. Good Meaning, enough living experiments. I think experiments. the associations that come to my head for me when I think about a living experiment, if I was listening, I would be thinking like as a metaphor and literally, oh, you mean skydiving. No. Like trying these giant, scary, huge things rather than something just humble. Like, like for example, like um, I, I want to get into reading novels a little bit more. And, and I have in the past, but that's just sort of a more humble small little living experiment. I mean, morning pages would be a living experiment. I mean, I'm currently trying a living experiment and this has been its own kind of thing for me as someone who, for whatever it is in my psyche, this is helpful for me. I'm like the living experiment is there's something that I'm trying to work out psychologically and I'm going to do a living experiment where this week I have started it like three days ago. We'll see how it's going. It's going okay. So far I am like my super egoic who I'm now kind of calling the police tape. This That's is a you. new little thought is like there's, there's a little, little policeman in police there. person, man. It's like internalized, you yeah. know, from external environments, how I adapted it, whatnot. And it's it's there is a, a little tyrant there inside of me, inside of me and in my little internal family system. <laughs> I think we all have that. It is super ego in its own way. But there's a specific way in which it shows up. And. I feel like it's been sifted out. And so the experiment is in living is every single time I sense it showing up. It's like, well, for this week, the experiment is I don't, I don't listen. I take, I just say, thank you. And I, I put it to the side now by saying it's just an experiment in living. And that's just for one week. All of a sudden I feel you might not like it. You might want to bring it back. Exactly. It's like, Oh great. This is just an experiment. So I don't, doesn't mean I have to, the, the idea isn't that I'm going to abandon this thing because I don't, I don't trust that. Yeah. I don't trust abandoning it altogether. Yeah. But an experiment for seven days, let's see how I feel afterwards. Yeah. Let's yeah. see what emerges. And I think that's like, a f- uh, that to me has been a, it, that's where it like 
it loosens something up for me. Totally. For me, if I make it a, sh- a short experiment, too, yeah. it's like great. Three days. Low stakes, a good enough experiment. Yeah, you yeah. Know? a good enough experiment. <laughs> and then another thing I would say to add to the things I've been learning, I'll speak for myself, is absorption. Absorption. So, I mean, we. I was reading the other day that like mental health might involve something like absorption, getting absorbed into something, and mm-hmm. that depression could involve something that was like too much navel gazing, hyper focus on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, to a certain extent, we're encouraging multiplicity, exploring your inner world, getting to know yourself. Mm-hmm. But also, if you overdo that, whatever overdoing involves, <laughs> um, that might lead to something like depression, that getting lost in other things mm-hmm. outside of yourself yes. would be something yes. like mental health. And so sometimes I wonder that there might be other better things out there at this point in my life that would, that I could get absorbed in or mm-hmm. lost in. Mm-hmm. And I think to a certain extent, again, rethinking and repurposing old baggage I have with that concept to a certain extent, a, a story that got way too much airtime for me in my life was a, was a Christian type of story that was the, the, the basically the only way to get adequately or well absorbed into something else was like building a house in Mexico. So serving others, but only through this one particular way, as if you could, you couldn't serve people all day, every day with the way you live. Hmm. You know, it's just like this hyper focus on sort of like a church's, outside projects or something. So I'm like, like here, I'll put it this way. Like somebody would say, like listening to Danny Brown these days, he obviously loves video games. Loves. And there's a stigma around that. Like, well, it's like not real life or something, but you know, these stories are so elaborate. I think he gets really absorbed. You know, you have to get, you have to get into a multiplicity zone with these things because I was listening to another podcast that uh, podcast listener, Ben Campbell, shout out to you. Hey, Ben recommended the Emerald. Right, right. And we listened to a little bit of that. Like, folks, check out the Emerald. But there was a whole episode on, like, the metaverse and how we're yeah. going into a virtual reality. And it was really, like, kind of uh, harsh criticism of it, but mm-hmm. in a very beautiful and artistic way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, totally agree with what you're saying and totally love video games for people at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's also something really amazingly fantastical that humans have created some kind of way to allow you to experience virtual reality. Like that's interesting too. You know, it's kind of both at the same time. Both and well, we're already sort of winding down our little thing. I mean, do you want to talk about a a few little living experiments that we've been doing? Cause I can talk about one. Sure. Go for it. You, I would love to know. Okay. Well you said video games. So I'll bring up two. Okay. Um, one is Mace and I have been, uh, going, to this video game place called Attaball and really trying to learn how to play how, pinball, how to play pinball. And I'll say this, like all growing up, I never wanted uh, those pinball machines looked maybe too adult. I was like, that's, those are boring. I want to play Pac-Man. I want to play the, you know, oh, the, the buzzy screen games. Now I'm like, dang, pinball is where it's at. It really truly is. And that's an experiment in living because it brings up, well, okay, yeah, gosh. And I think Reuven's going to come up for Ruvenation. Yeah. So that will, we maybe get, we'll get into this later. But it's fun to play games now as an adult with new ways of thinking about it. And pinball's been especially fun in this way of thinking about the game itself <laughs> as some kind of 
archetypal human artistic expression <laughs> of the inner psyche. So oh, right. the game, you've been getting this like pinging. pinball. It's, yeah. it's think about what it satisfies for us on a very maybe young and very uh, basic developmental place of pinging back and forth. Things are back and forth, chaotic. How do you get control? Hitting like Gosh. The, the the small goals and aims. Like there's all these ways that you could take a game or a sport. I've been thinking about those tennis, I've been thinking about soccer. Like what is this sport also doing in terms of like symbolic emotion well, structuring and whatnot? No, this is a full, full circle thing. And now I really do wish Daniel was here because, because, <laughs> because what is it? Like some theme has emerged here because I would say aesthetically this place that's uh, this place we go to. Look it up if you're interested, everybody. But the aesthetics of Attaball. Yeah, everyone in the Seattle area, Attaball, it's truly the place. But it's like the, the the idea of the pinball machine itself, but then the aesthetics and sound. So going back to what we were talking about with like right. this episode and chewing and stuff, I sort of like aesthetically, and I like to think of my brain or my internal world. I mean, it's like looking at this picture of this exploding brain that I made. Mm-hmm. Like as a jumble of sounds. And so just the pinball machine itself is like, but then out yes. has got like you got 20 the of them in there. It's noise. You know, yes, and that yes. might go back to like what Daniel was saying about this, like six wing seven. <laughs> yeah, no, I think both of us are a little bit yeah. like, yes, yes. It, it hits us in a very, in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an experiment in living is you trying that out. I yeah. mean, we've both been kind of trying it out. It's been pretty fun. Yeah. Um, the other thing is we, everybody, I think something that I've said for a very long time that would feel like more in the realm of like, this is true, like big experiments living for Scott, yeah. especially I've always thought like, if you get one life, you'd want to try for me, stand up comedy. And it seems scary, but also really fun and stand up comedians and podcasters. I would say at this point in my life are the people I admire most. And if it was like the first half of my life was probably like, pastors I'm trying trying to be a pastor but now it'd be like podcasters and stand-up comedians and that world that whatever kind of world they all create and inhabit and yeah doing. you really also i would say also like youtube creators is in that as well for mm-hmm. you but i've never done it i've never i've never even been to an open mic so this was experiments in living we went to an open mic and, and just it was saw wild. what it was like yeah i mean so many things first of all so much lower stakes than even I imagined. Super low it's like stakes. These people got about three minutes each, and most of them weren't very good. But but props to them for getting up there. I was kind of like a wishy. I mean, they they said the audience was wishy washy, and I would say the comedians yeah. were wishy washy. You guys too. were wishy washy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thing. Like a lot of the comedians, they were probably sitting there in the back, being like, "Shoot, like this this crowd isn't very hot tonight," or something. Right, and then that also probably like. I mean, you got to warm up that crowd. It's on whole, you guys. The whole thing psychologically. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, what were you going to say? Well, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I guess I would say now we're going to try to go back with our housemates. Even. Yes, we're going to get the whole house. And, and, and Shinlin and Reuven have already worked up their bits. I, I don't even have a bit yet, mm-hmm. but we're going to try and it's going to be scary, but it might be fun. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll say, you know what? I had a fantasy fantasy of what doing standup would be like, or an open mic. And it wasn't what I thought it was. It actually was, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I never want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like, wow, that was exhilarating. Uh, I had a good experience. Let me try again. And we'll you just see. And that's, yeah. and that's, I think also this element of like low stakes, like this idea. I mean, 
Oh, well, now I'm quoting Adam Phillips. But Adam Phillips talks about this idea of what if when you're, you know, if you're parenting children, you leave things out yeah. for them to go, like toys this out for them to go and explore. And it's it's also in many ways ratio. Like you leave out materials that are open-ended mm-hmm. for children to then make meaning of themselves and let them pick it up on their own let time them pick it up at your own time and it's kind of this idea of what if we start to imagine our our just let's just go here with me visually metaphorically i'm going i'm gonna go imagine our lives as a giant playroom yes yes that yes has yes this all is these sections all these toys all these objects were were imagine that place you're in as a child and think about yourself here what what will you we gravitate towards. What do you want to play? What do you want to, what will bring you joy aesthetically? You know what, you know, you know what? So first of all, I would say yes to all of that, a big giant. And I thought that I had, first of all, I would say it's obviously very meta that like no small thing is an experiment living. We tried doing podcasts and we liked it and here we are. Truly. And, and also this, (laughs) all these people I want to hear from, I want to hear from Daniel. I want to hear from Ruben. Um, but it, it could be a protest against capitalism. And I know that sounds very lofty, but the idea of like there, there might be other things that we could get absorbed into that aren't necessarily consumerism. Yes. You yes. Know? I like, think Oh, that's well true. he's not out there purchasing because he's lost in his art or he's they're lost in their paint or they're lost in their book or mm-hmm. they're lost in their, for me, obviously I just ran a marathon. Everybody last Saturday I was out running a marathon and that's an experiment in living running mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm. in running a marathon, I got done. And I was like, I want to do that again. No, you were like, I'm ready to do my next marathon. Yeah. You know, that's like, you found something that brings. And it's joy. relatively free. Like you, right. re- I, I could run a marathon without having to register. I could go out and run we a marathon. Just go right run them. So I don't even have to register. But like the idea that you, you go and do a marathon and there's all of these hours and hours and hours and hours of training that are relatively free. You just buy a pair of shoes and you can go running. Mm-hmm. And then you do a marathon, which cost me like $120 to register. And that's relatively cheap. And all the other things that you could be doing with your time in terms of consuming and like buying and purchasing and traveling, it all just sort of gets absorbed into the running and it's great. Mm-hmm. That's, I know <laughs> this runners out there will be like, yes, yes. The now I, I will out there, say it, the, like the back and forth element of the, you know, you said cross training recently, like we need to get into some other realms. that's not so much psychoanalysis. And I totally agree with that. And I would say this feels like a nice toggling back. We have, mm-hmm. we have, um, you know, video games, out ball reading, and then club comedy and doing the stand up and seeing an open mic. And the running is just kind of silent and quiet actually at the end of the day. No, I it's, I think that, I don't listen to music. I think that's another element too. And I think that's something that we are experiments in living. We all kind of have to find our, what works for us to maintain balance and integration. And I think that's something you're naming too. If you start to kind of think about, and that's why I think this play for metaphor is great because it's like, what's working to create a balanced play scene for yes. you? You know, yes. what do you yes. need as a person? You know, for some people, the things that are the way they connect with their body are different than yeah. running. It's a completely different relationship they have, but what experiments are you doing to find what is just sings in your spirit, Ooh, you know, sings in your spirit. We're really lofty and really hopeful for folks <laughs> today. Okay. Should we, okay, gonna, should we go to uh, segments? So, so, we, so, uh, <laughs> 
talking of experiments and living, we are trying out segments, everybody. And, and so we're far, head right into the segment. Folks have said they've liked segments. Yeah. We've heard, we've heard. Mace from is going to spin the color wheel, and there, how many colors are on there? 100? Uh, no, right now, let's see. I think we have. Um, many. 50? Many. Like f- 47 in 47 colors that Mace is going to spin this wheel and talk randomly at random about what the what this color makes them think and feel. Yes, here we go. We'll just let it be the experiment. And, you know, I had an idea, too, of depending on what the color is, maybe spinning a second one and thinking about what I think, or what we, but mostly I think of the color combination. That sounds fabulous. It's up to you. It's your podcast. Okay. Got this idea from Danny Brown, the Danny Brown Show. Recommend it to you if it's your type of thing. Well, Radiant Orchid. Radiant orchid. I feel like this, what has, is it? this has to be uh, one of the Pantone colors. A name Sheesh. like that. I've got to look this up. Radiant orchid. I mean, what do we think that color is? I, I don't know. I wouldn't even know what to associate Isn't with that a orchid. white? Would it be a oh. white or would it be like, I think it could be a pink or a purple. Radiant but I feel orchid. like, I think no, this I don't, is going to be I one would, of those Pantone be, colors of the year. I, I wouldn't even know how to guess what that would entail. Everybody, as we're sitting here looking it up, think about what comes to your mind. Don't Google it. We're going to tell you. Whoa. Whoa. I'm surprised. Wow. I am surprised. It's a purplish. Okay. Radiant Orchid. An enchanting harmony of fuchsia, purple, and pink undertones. Radiant Orchid inspires confidence and emanates great joy, love, and health. It It is a captivating purple. One that draws you in with a beguiling charm. It looks kind of like Amethyst from... Steven Universe. Yeah, honestly. it's kind of like um, it's a uh, let's see. Oh, it is a Pantone color of the year. Which okay, year was let's it? See. It kind of it kind of reminds me of Pantone color, your portrait artist of the year. Oh my gosh, one of the best Pantone shows. Everyone check out that show. I don't know if there's anywhere to find that show anymore. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, we're just quietly now. We've gotten into quiet ASMR. What NPR mode? What year do you think it is? Whoa, like I would even know. <laughs> 2014. 2014. So everybody think back to what, what you were doing in 2014. What were you doing in 2014? And that I was a, you, you were just you were just ignorantly going along with your life not knowing that the color of the year was radiant orchid. <laughs> I was a freshman in college. Um okay. So it, what is this bringing up for you? Freshman in college? No. <laughs> radiant orchid. <laughs> well, here we go. Expressive, exotic radiant orchid blooms with confidence and warmth. Uh, radiant orchids' rosy undertones radiate on the skin, producing a healthy glow when worn by both men and women. A dazzling attention getter. I mean, this already uh, is similar to uh, Viva Magenta. Yeah, and I'll tell you something. For me personally, purple in this kind of purple is a color that I'm least interested in. Okay. And I'm not saying it doesn't have its place, but strangely in like Christian circles, it really has like a, an Easter Kingly Jesus-y feel. And and to a certain extent, I, I, I instantly get a little bit, um, well, I'm bored was a word that came to mind. I hear what you're saying. I'm picturing white wicker. Oh, 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 wait, what's that? I, as you say this, I'm picturing white wicker and floral pillows with this Do you color. mean wicker? Wicker. <laughs> wicker? Wicker. I'm saying wicker. 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 I heard you say white wicker. White wicker, white wicker furniture wicker. With, yeah. with, a, yes. with a floral yes. print Kind of grandmotherly. Color. And yes. no, nothing wrong with grandmothers, but like. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I don't mind this color. I, you know what? Here's segment. what I would say. <laughs> what I would love to pair. Well, no, I mean, 
Uh, what I'd love to pair with this color right now with Radiant Orchard is a neon yellow, a neon orange, and some kind of like blue or teal or sea yeah. foam to cut it. That yeah. seems like a great color palette. I would use this in a color palette, yeah. but it wouldn't be a standout for me. You're you're mostly this is like Mesa's solution to a lot of things is put some neon on it. I get love, some neon in there. I don't know if it's a solution <laughs> as much as it's just what I feel yeah, is yeah, the best choice. Yeah. All right, we're um, gonna pair it now. What we're gonna we're spin gonna the wheel? Exactly. We're gonna pair it. We're gonna a pair new it. a new segment. <laughs> Radiant orchid paired with the wheel is spinning. Everybody don't want to be dull or boring, so I have to keep talking in this show. <laughs> Can't just listen to. Bloss, what is this wild segment? Now I have to wonder have if no this idea. was a typo. Is it? <laughs> was it supposed to be blue? Bell, B L U S. And is it supposed to be blue? But I don't think I type. I don't think I put blue in. That's too basic. Let's see if there is a color called bloss. I think it's going to be like a, a. I think there's a sixty percent chance that there. No, doesn't look like there's a bloss color. No, no, no. Well, now we're going to type in the word color. Bloss color. Pus color? Bluss? Bluss. Color? Is it really? Bluss is a color. Oh. So uh, it wasn't a typo. This looks like taupe. Oh, no. Maybe it's blush is what they're Blush. No, is. I think it was a typo. Bluss color palette. Bluss. <clears throat> maybe any word is a color. Okay. Well, let's go with blush and let's talk about the color blush. And okay, so, with Radiant Orchid, but so let's just take a moment. Blush is sort of like a soft pinkish. A pinkish. Don't like it. I also. don't like oh, it. Oh, you don't I like do blush. I do not like blush. I mean, I, I, I'm, it's fine. Is it because it's people. associated with like makeup? No, I don't think it's that. I just think it's a really, um, I love. Mesa's facial expressions. You guys are pretty extreme. <laughs> it's like, it's almost a bitter, like, how dare you exist? <laughs> blush. <laughs> Why have I been prompted with this? Shitty color. <laughs> <laughs> no, is it skin I, color? I support, it's almost like skin I support color. blush. It's it's kind of like yeah. Let's just look at it. it's like a pink. It's a pink uh, taupe uh, mauve. Taupe. It's it's a it's on the skin color palette. Yeah. I would say. Um, I don't know. I don't love. I just. What don't. would happen in your brain if all of a sudden this is paired with radiant orchid? That's that. What type of vibe is starting to get I, evoked? It's, it's um. <laughs> no, Mace is like clutching at their chest. <laughs> this is this is extreme. This is not free. This is not wide eyed, <laughs> like dazzle. It's like no, don't even make me think about it right now. Uh, I'll, okay, I I'll go if I have to. <laughs> it's kind of um like. Instagram influencer oh. of five to six years yes. ago. Yes, um, yes, yes. And they have their latte and a mm-hmm. blush like yes. journal and they have blush nails. And the whole thing is blush. And they wear like really natural makeup and they wear mostly like whites and creams. And I support kind of white girl hipster cursive. Sorry, exists, and I support this for them. And it's just aesthetically nothing I want for myself. Yes, and so it brings you get to do that. It brings that that. up for me. And then you've got some kind of like purple. It just it's bringing up tacky. Yeah, for me, it's it's giving tacky. It's giving tacky. (laughs) You know, and I want to say I feel like there's probably really great ways to do this combination. And I feel like a little bit like experiments in living maze. Could you make blush you redeem it. and radiant orchid 
Any you, anybody can, could make anything cool, probably. But like it's I mean, just it's not like Tyler the Creator for me. wearing this sort of like Russian furry hat that he wears. It's like all of a sudden, this is how some somehow become iconic. Right, and I just think that I know. I guess for me, and this is interesting. The more I even think about like what we were talking about pinball, but like what colors are the colors that just sing to your soul? Even you know, yeah. and it's obvious for me. It's bright neon yeah. poppy colors, and this would be just a. It's just a a. Sh- it's just dull. It's dull. It's, yeah, that's so, fair. So that's the. Um, that's how wheel. you feel about it. That's how I wouldn't I want feel you to force it. a feeling or try to pretend that you're more interested in those colors I'm not, than you are. I'm just really simply, simply not interested not. in them. All yeah. right, we're going to get on to the next segment, everybody. This is uh, famous people that were born today. And, you know, so far the segment has been not that exciting. I mean, it's exciting in the sense that we're interested in who shows up. Um, but uh, today has some interesting. And, and I'm going to scroll down to number th- through 30 because as I already looked at these, as I scroll for me personally, and I imagine for the listeners, it gets more interesting the further you go down. And I, right off the bat, I'm very intrigued by the way they've positioned these famous people because the second famous person is the person I would assume is the most. The second most is what they said? Okay. The, the second person on this list to me in Hollywood and in acting would be considered the like go-to reference point for a famous person. Okay. Is it like, so Tom number Cruise? one is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Do you even know who that is? No, he had a really strong role in Grey's Anatomy. Okay. What was he? Uh, can you recognize his face? Did you ever watch Grey's Anatomy? I did watch Grey's Anatomy. Uh, he was, I think it was like the guy that died. I, I watched, I watched that show for like three seasons. Yeah. And Watchmen and Walking Dead, I guess. Walking Dead. He plays a character that is like brutal. I forget his name, but like, um, so he has a very iconic role in Watchmen and The Walking Dead. And it's the Watchmen movie, not the show. So you've seen Watchmen, the show. But Jeffrey D. Morgan, I would have thought, would be like 50 on a list somewhere. And he's number one. And it says he's he's 152 votes for like fame. The wow. next person, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I'll say one of the most famous people of all time. That's Let me see a picture. Yes, yes. Okay, great. Yeah. That's exactly what I was Do you have any associations of what comes well, up for you? Quite, in, he's in, what's it called? The... Uh, Red Rum. Is yeah, that the yeah, yeah. the shiny? Yeah, he's in the shiny. He's in the he's, shiny. He's, that's here's my num- Johnny. That's my number one reference for him. Yeah, and he was the Joker in Batman. Okay. And one of his most iconic roles, which if you haven't seen as a therapist, we should watch this, uh, is One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Profound. Profound. Very interesting. Um, and then just tons and tons and tons and tons of movies. Tons. No, I mean, I feel like he's Endless. just very, yeah, out yeah. there and famous. But he... Um, yeah, so I don't I don't really want to talk too much about Jack Nicholson. I, I would say for me, the most iconic was the Joker in Batman because that came out at the prime of my childhood. I think it was like I was like twelve years old. And right. I, was like such I mean, a good I movie. feel like that Joker role is like also kind of like a a big role for people to play, like yeah. a very exciting role to play. How you do He was it. also in a really good movie that's famous. I mean, he's, he's isn't it interesting? Okay, here's just my associating with these thoughts though. Uh Actors being an actor, what an interesting profession in terms of. I know experiments in living. I want to try acting too. I know, and <laughs> isn't it fascinating? Some people who play these roles of the villain and yeah. play them so well, yeah, and are okay and comfortable being the person who kind of gets you know casted into villain roles, you know, and then other people will own, like typically play the hero role. Yeah. And if they then go play a villain, it's confusing to us sometimes even as an audience. Yeah. And some people won't take certain roles so as to not get that on their reputation. Like it's very interesting yes. 
the way like he's comfortably saying I'm not just going to be I'm comfortable being villain roles. I will be great at villain yeah. roles. He, he he's good at villain roles. He was good at sort of playing a character that's like super unhinged. Yeah, just like chaos. But he was also good at playing very charming. Like he's oh, a very I don't charming. Oh, I've actor. ever seen yeah, which I, I mean, guess maybe makes for a very good. He's like a smooth ladies man. I mean, he was considered in Hollywood as like a, a the ultimate ladies man. He he was married to Angelica Houston. Look at this! Look at this! This is just going back. Scott's but he was really in a movie called a Chinatown. With old Hollywood. Then, you know, he was in a movie that I watched because I worked at a movie theater and I loved this movie. It's also very iconic. I think he won an Academy Award called "As Good as It Gets." Oh, my! One of my parents' favorite movies. Yeah, and maybe one of the most iconic lines in any movie is you can't handle the truth. He, that's mm. his line from A Few Good Men. You can't handle the I, truth. I, Tom Cruise, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> so there's some Jack Nicholson associations. Uh, this is what I want to, I want to I toss this out to Reuven when he comes in. And okay. see, give him the assignment of associating off a famous person born today, what is Vladimir that? Lenin. Okay, okay. So I just want to throw we're that gonna, out. We're, we're going to resume say, right past that. that and go and back I'm going to give it to Reuven. Uh, Emmanuel Kant. I don't know if people okay. say Kant or Kant. I think it's Kant. Uh, okay. Really famous philosopher. I'd want to give that to my brother. Yeah. He's a philosophy give professor. That, give that Talk to about the significance of Kant. Uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, okay. Some people, I'm just, this is a person that I want to spend about two minutes on. Wow. Machine Gun Kelly. Oh boy. Machine Gun Kelly. That's a complicated <laughs> artist. Very complicated artist. What is your opinion on They've done things that are like. I feel like, like aesthetically Machine no, Gun Kelly kind of has your aesthetic. No, aesthetically that's, I think, okay, so here's what I'm pretty sure. And this is where I'm like, I'm for whatever this is. I, I'm pretty sure Machine Gun Kelly has done some questionable things ethically. I don't think so. I, I thought think, there was a point where they were canceled. No, I, they're married to Megan Fox. And they do weird, cringy things together that that gets reposted on Instagram. That is like, like we drank each other's blood. But really, I don't even know if that's true. Right? That's no, I, I, I know. So maybe you know, I, I, I wouldn't. I don't know. But I feel like I heard from someone somewhere, like, oh, Machine Gun Kelly, isn't it frustrating that they're out? And I'm like, okay, well, first off, canceling is complicated. Okay. But uh, no, aesthetically hardcore. Yeah. And then I had a big, there was this one Machine Gun Kelly song that I had like a very big, like it was the song of like a solid two months of, yeah. of life. It was kind of like, and there's a great video. I mean, no, it's, he's kind of. And is Shia LaBeouf canceled? <laughs> I think I, I don't. Cause the, I would say there is an intersection Venn diagram crossover between those two of like taking sort of this charisma and the way they dress and then taking something that would be so tragically cheesy for most people. And they just wear they it. They make confidence. it and it's all of a sudden very cool. Yeah. And what I would say, machine gun Kelly came into my field of vision because he basically started a rap beef with Eminem. And it's crazy because he was sort of a rapper and then became sort of like a punk rock, punk sub- rap. Yeah. Um, pop rock, glam rock musician. He's, 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 he's really charismatic. Uh, but, I, but I will say at the end of the day, my opinion of Machine Gun Kelly, as much as I appreciate his like uh, drive, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in anything he does actually. I'm not like, not like I'm not, not listening not to following. any Machine Gun Kelly music ever sitting in my car listening to Machine Gun Kelly. No, I was to say I had that one song. Yeah. And that's it. I had a moment. But I am like, okay, you're sort of like this hardcore rapper with tons of tattoos who's starting an M- a beef with Eminem. And then all of a sudden you're like in makeup doing like Blink-182 I mean, style. talk about being able to surprise yeah. yourself. You know, there's something that's that he's out there doing. 
But um, the inner super egoic police force wasn't able to find out whether no. <laughs> whether he was canceled. No, I actually was. Like, I actually. Is he canceled? I actually. I actually. <laughs> Should we be giving say, him this much time on our podcast? Um, I will say that. Uh, Is he medium canceled? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Like, there's a lot of interviews where he says lots of interestingly predatory stuff and says like, oh, okay. says things that are blatantly questionable around. Okay, well, we don't stand with that, everybody. Yeah. Peter so. Frampton is on the list today. Peter there's Frampton, a lot of people. That? He's the only, that he's like a familiar. rock star. It says rock guitarist Peter Frampton made the talk box guitar effect his signature style. So if you ever hear things that are borderline like auto-tune, mm-hmm. he, it, it was like one of those tubes that you sort of sing into and speak into and it's like mm-hmm. and that's, that's the Peter Frampton the Peter style Frampton basically. Vibe. Yeah. So I don't really want to spend much time on him. Um, so just scrolling through. Oh, no, I clicked on one of them. I don't want to. Uh, oh, crap. Everybody may s- talk about. Um, um, okay, let's think <laughs> about these things. Let me talk <laughs> about. Famous people. Okay, we're going past Peter Frampton. You have no associations with that. Okay, John Waters was born today. Don't know who that is. He is a guy that sort of, he's a famous, do you recognize him? The picture of him? He wrote and produced Baltimore. The musical not standing out to me. Or, in my or, brain. I think it was Baltimore, not Baltimore. It was a this soap. segment just exposes how little pop culture I am. Yeah. Invested it's in. not soap, whatever. Oh, hairspray. Yeah. Hairspray. hairspray That's okay. what I said, Baltimore. Um, I don't, but there's, there's a person coming that I really want to, Charles Mingus was a really amazing jazz musician that we could okay. get into, but, uh, go, go right past that. Sherry Shepard. Uh, she's doing that. Uh, she was on the view, I think. Okay. My mom um, used to watch and, the view. Yeah, going past that, uh, there's a person that's coming up, uh, Sean Locke. If you guys know these people, I'm, I'm going right past them. Ka- Catherine Mary Stewart, going right past that. Cassidy Freeman, right past Right past it. it. Duncan Robinson, don't know these people. Seeing pictures, don't even recognize them. But okay, here number we go. 27, Cheryl Lee. Does anybody have an association with this? I, well, I know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was uh, Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. <gasps> wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I mean, that's iconic. Yeah, that's iconic. So uh, Twin Peaks, one of my favorite shows. I think one of Mace's. I would say if it's show up Mace there. enjoys. Uh, yeah. Um, Just, we, we should rewatch I know. the Twin Peaks. Well, and of course, there's an association to David Lynch, who is like, got to be a top 10 person for me. If I was making my top 10 people. I think David Lynch, I think would, David Lynch would also make it for me. After seeing him do interviews, transformed. Yeah. So that's kind of fun to think that um, she was born today. No, that is. Happy um, birthday to you, Shirley. Happy birthday, Laura Palmer. R.I.P. Laura Palmer. R.I.P. <laughs> okay, right, that's our Reuven? segment. And uh, everybody, the, new, the last and final segment today is we're going to get Reuven in here to share whatever Reuven wants to share about. But I'm also going to throw out this um This, this per- famous person assignment. born today. Because you know, you know your boy, Lena, uh, Reuven, likes to talk about... Um, Anything communism, related to <laughs> communism, Marxism, Leninism. Reuven. All right, everybody. We have Reuven with us. Did you hear my assignment and my hope for you first before you get started? No. Can okay. So the segment it? we yes. were doing just now was we look at famous people that were born today and we just talk about whatever comes up when we hear their name. Mm-hmm. And the third on the list today was Lenin. Lenin. Yeah. Oh. Do you have anything to say about Lenin? Lenin. Well, <laughs> I have a lot. I haven't actually read a lot of Lenin. Yeah. I've, uh, I've um, I mean, it's so hard to make your way throughout all of these people. They've of course. Written like a thousand things. But today I will talk a little bit about, about uh, Marxism and art. Again. Okay, there you go. So there is a crossover. 
Uh, I mean, uh, today we'll, I would like to, I feel like you've, I've been using this uh, segment as just like, uh, like dry runs for my lectures. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> Testing out your material. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, to, uh, for next week, it'd be so funny if any of my students, uh, found this, uh, we, I've assigned them a piece. Guys, I found the raw version the of raw version version of this lecture. The, the lecture before the lecture <laughs> in our class. Uh, I assigned this piece called uh, what is art, but in quotation marks, because I, uh, by, that's good. Uh, I think it's a reference to Tolstoy. Um, it's by CLR James, who's a Trinidadian Marxist, Pan-Africanist historian, politician, writer, just kind of like a Renaissance man, um, who, of course, you know, uh, has written quite a bit on Lenin and Marx mm-hmm. and Hegel. Uh, but he has this book. I mean, he's most famous for his book called The Black Jacobins, which okay. you might have seen. But it's a, it's sort of kind of like the pioneering work on the Haitian Revolution. And, of course, when people think of you know, like modern revolutions, people always think of American and French. Mm. Yes. They always forget the Haitian revolution, which is like very contemporary. And yeah. mm-hmm. of course, like deeply. In, no, in, our friend Joel Lumen said that they're creating a documentary on the Haitian revolution. The revolution. Yeah, good. I mean, yeah. you know, she, I'm like a hundred percent sure yeah. she must have read the black Jacobins. Yeah. Right. And it's contemporary too. It's like, I think 1801, 1814, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also wrote this book called Beyond a Boundary which is sort of like a memoir slash uh, kind of like a sports book on cricket. Wow. Yeah. The things you get up to. That's what I have. And I have no... What are your feelings appreciation. about cricket? <laughs> I, have no, I have no like conceptual vocabulary for sports. Right. I just came back last night from, uh, from a softball game that I was invited to watch. And Mace asked me, how did you... Uh, like the game. It's like, I didn't even watch the game. I just talked to my friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, uh, I wanted to, this to give, uh, have my students read it a, because I want them to expand the concept of, you know, what constitutes, mm-hmm. uh, a proper object for art criticism, but also to be able to, uh, that, you know, this kind of flexibility or freedom is not, an excuse for the lack of precision in analysis. Because, you know, like, this is not an argument, What the kind of argument that James is making, at least in this chapter, I read the, the whole book, like, years ago. Uh, so I, I, I just... On, this book on cricket or the other book? This book on cricket. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'm just... Re- re- I, yeah. I just finished rereading the, just the chapter. Uh, one of the points that he emphasizes is that if we want to a- analyze cricket, we have to, you have to analyze it as technique. Wow. Right? So you have to analyze the precision of what cricket is. It's not this argument about kind of like, oh, like sports is where like people, uh, you know, like give vent to their animal passions. I mean, there's that, but also in the world of art, every kind of expression always runs against its, its, its material, its form, right? This would be sort of like the basic, another basic approach Marxist approach to art, yes, yes. right? That art is never just pure expression because it always encounters its sort of like its other. Its it, means, yeah. yeah it's, it's always means. limited by the fact that it's... Limit isn't... I mean, I think the word would be more like... I mean, this is a key, another key word in Marxism, determ- determined, which does not only mean limited, but also sort of like makes something possible. Okay. 
right? Uh, so this would be uh, in in kind of like this. This would be sort of like the concept of something like the concept of of of, of irony, right? Not in the Alanis Morissettean sense, but oh, in the yes. Hegelian sense. Okay. Right? Everybody's of, like, oh yes, the Hegelian sense. <laughs> As opposed to the Alanis Morissette. Yeah. In the sense, sense that uh, if you've... If the you've, Morissettian? Is that what we said? Yeah, I, I said uh, Al- Alanis Morissette. Yeah, I said that. I said yeah. Morissettian. Honestly, though, like I want to stick with that because like, I am a Morissettian. <laughs> well, but that, no, you're not because... The, no, well, because I want to get back to Ruben. wrong version of irony. irony. Yeah. But I just did basic level of but you are but you like Alanis more so. right yeah, okay well the, the the short of it is uh, the Hegelian version of irony would be something like a hammer in yeah. the sense of uh when you use a hammer to to like I don't nail a painting on the wall um gravity is part of the hammer but yeah. it's been it's the it's been but the function of gravity gravity is as much a material of the hammer as the the steel yeah Right, but but the function of irony of of uh, of gravity has been ironized. It's it just been oh, twisted. literally ironized. Yeah, it yeah. has been made to serve the purpose of the steel, wow. of like of the hammerer, right? So that that would so in the same that kind of like art, like you have expression, but ex- that expression always meets a material substratum. It always meets what, and the result is 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 what James calls a form. Okay. Okay. Right. So this. And this is true of any works of, at least any good works of art. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the same rule that applies to, um, I don't know. Well, I guess in this case, cricket, it's the same rule that applies to Hunter Hunter. Yeah. The reason why, like, um, it's a good show as opposed to something like My Hero Academia is because it takes its its material as Sean and genre and tries to kind of like take it to its conclusion. Right, right, so right, that right, it, right. it actually takes its material seriously. What are the conventions of a of a genre and a genre? You have a protagonist who's kind of, I mean, it's this you know kind of like clueless but extremely powerful. And what if you just take it to the last? This level? is where it goes. You get season yes. five yeah. of Hunter Hunter, right? Yeah. So, um, show me rock. <laughs> <laughs> so it's. Uh, what 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 uh, what is it in Japanese? Because I only know John Kenpon. John Kenpon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it, so James talks about kind of like that. What I one of the lessons that I want my students to take away is that if you want to analyze anything, you have to be able to grasp mm. its form. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to... S- you have to understand like what medium it's within because then you can start to appreciate what's being done to it. Like in order to enjoy mm-hmm. Hunter Hunter, grasping the shonen genre allows you to appreciate what it's doing within the genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that kind of... I mean, I'll is? just say for my basic purposes, like I, I would think Tyler, the creator's most recent album is that in the realm of hip hop, like mm-hmm. Tyler, the creator's do, saying, I basically have mastered the, the essential elements of hip hop and I'm going to do something new and different with with that. And I could talk about that for a long time. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, I, that's what kind of like his mode of analysis mm-hmm. is that structure is not obedience. Yeah. It is not kind of like this subsumption, you know, this kind of like iron, like mechanization of just no, you get creativity by actually taking because the material substratum is there whether you want it or not. Yeah, right. Art will always be material, where, mm-hmm. even if you are like just the most unrepentant idealist. Right, it's right. It's not right. a choice you can opt out of. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
so that in uh, so that and and you get I I you said so this I want to kind of like emphasize to my students right this is how you actually honor the art form is you learn its material you learn its structure you mm-hmm. learn its form and then from there you can go to okay what is what is how does the artist you know use the gravity yeah mm-hmm. right for mm-hmm. their own purposes right right mm-hmm. i mean and and I like this yeah i mean one of the the examples that I, one of the means towards I can approach cr- something like cricket and, and James says this, like, you know, cricket is a dramatic art, like theater, like ballet, like mm-hmm. opera. I mean, the, the, the art form that I would be m- much more familiar with than with cricket is, is, is opera. Right. 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 And in, in opera, there's this, uh, just sort of like as another example, right. There is at least in 19, 18, 19th century Italian opera, there's a structure. This is not true of like, 20th century, like Puccini mm-hmm. or even Wagner, <laughs> we'll just mention him, his name one more time, uh, is, uh, is, <laughs> is there is this form uh, called, is this, is this genre of opera called the bel canto? Bel canto? Bel canto. Bel canto. Bel canto. Right, it's, which uh, translates quite literally to just, you know, beautiful singing, right? But in a lot of bel canto operas, this is, you know, these are the rules. You have a soprano, who uh, always gets all the kind of like the most exciting materials. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, uh, it has this, there's this structure that a uh, a, belga, a soprano in a bel canto opera, whatever the the plot will have to do. It's, it's this three-part-side structure called a recitativo, cavatina and a cabaletta. Mm. So recitativo is sung dialogue. Cavatina, there's probably a more technical expression to do this, is something kind of like a slow piece, like a slow aria. Mm. Some of them are very famous, like, you know, Casta Diva from Bellini's Norma. Uh, and, then, and then you have a cabaletta, which is like a much more energetic. Yeah. You, know. you, you know, go you, you look at Donizetti, Bellini, uh, Sam Verdi, you have this structure, recitativo, uh, cavatina and cabaletta. Yeah. And the and the interesting thing is the bel canto opera used to not be popular. Used used to be very popular, of course, in the nineteenth century, right? Uh, I mean, if you read like Madame Bovary, uh, Emma, uh, one of the operas that she goes to see is Lucia de Lammermoor, which is by Donizetti, a bel can- kind of like a staple of bel canto opera. But by the twentieth century, with Puccini, with like you know like uh, Wagner, with like kind of like modern sort of like moving away from uh, people became kind of tired of this kind of like classical. It's, they feel like it's too, too, too rigid. Okay. Right. I mean, one of <laughs> Wagner's oh, inventions really is of here. course, right. Kind of like he doesn't want an aria. He wants the dissolution of music into like everything. And so mm-hmm. like, um, and it's actually not until uh, kind of like around uh, the world war by Maria Callas, who sort of revived Bel Canto. Balcanto. Balcanto. <laughs> because uh, where she kind of like shows you, look, these rigid structures, these are not the enemy of expression. And of course, if you listen to, I mean, her biggest, uh, some of her biggest roles, right, are in Belcanto operas, mm. like Anna Polena, Norma. Uh, and what I know about her is that she really did... Which, master the art form and took it very mm-hmm. seriously. Yeah, and you know this like uh, is that when she, whenever she gets interviewed, and there's one that I love to, to listen to. It's, it's I think it's 68. She got interviewed by 
he was getting interviewed by Sir Edward Downs, who's a music yeah. critic for BBC. And he's trying to kind of like ask her, like, what is the secret yeah. to like, you know, your hard she's work. Kind of, well, she said that, but she also like, you stick to the score. Right, 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 mm-hmm. right. And, and he's kind of, but there was more, and he's like, no, 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 you actually stick to the score. Yeah. Everything that you need to know, the composer has all need to do, the composer has already put it there. Yeah. Hmm. So it's not a matter of kind of like, there's no, there's no mysticism to art. Yeah. Right. It is, or like, if you want to get amazing. there, it has to come from, from like a precise technical understanding. And I mean, you listen to her and you just, it's, 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 there's, I mean, there is sort of like almost this kind of, what you hear is what you see on the score, but, but it's, it's also like so much more. Yeah. Right, and you see this. I think what, what I what I think the popularization of opera, because what gets popularized in opera is always the arias, like always the one that the melody, and the recitativo. You know, the first part of like this tripartite structure that you find in bel canto operas, by definition, has no recognizable melody because okay. it is kind of like sung declaration. But Maria Callas, I think her art. I mean, her art is everywhere, but I think it it is, you know, in the context of just like the popularization of just melodies is most apparent in the way she sings these kind of like melodyless recitativo. Hmm. Like there's this one, I'll end with this, but <laughs> big, it should be noted, noted for the audio. Ruben has had big eyes of awe and mm-hmm. looking away. Loves and Maria just, Callas. Just, uh, yeah. Adoration has if There's going to be a drinking game. If you hang around with Ruben, it's going to be, <laughs> Eventually, you're going to get to some Maria Callas. Of it's course, either, you're eventually going to get to Mark's. Conan. Uh, <laughs> Conan. If, you, if it was take a shot, uh-huh. if you heard Ruben mention Conan, it would be, we'd uh-huh. be plastered we'd be, all yeah. day. One of, the, one of the interesting, I mean, about Conan is he's always so aware of the history of the form. Yeah, like, totally. Like the late night form. He always yeah. talks about it. I mean, he always talks about it comedically, but yeah. I think he's also another... Yeah. Someone who's familiar with, with, yeah. with the rules. Well, the I'll just quickly say this. Mm-hmm. It is really interesting, I think, about myself and the work that I do if doing sand tray therapy Mm -hmm. we're understanding the form that hey whatever this is is a free and clear space for Mm -hmm. inner world and dream to be expressed when you know the form it gives the meaning and the nuance to what's being done Mm -hmm. if you don't have the form of considering it to be what it is then you don't notice the things that are there to notice it's Mm -hmm. by by no by by having some sense of a form that then allows you to notice things that I don't think you'd notice if you're just formlessly in a space. Yeah. And that would be like the more, you know, intelligent reading of Freud of like the interpretation of dreams. as not just like decoding, but looking at dreams as a, a form that has its own logic. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. not like it's something that needs to be dispelled. No, it's something right? that mm-hmm. if you start to appreciate it, you see that there's actually a, quite a bit of nuance in what's being yeah. presented there. Yeah. We're just going all over the yeah. place. Oh, <laughs> Freud. Uh, uh, and as long as we're straying away from Wagner, I think Wagner. it's like, oh. <laughs> but, no, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. living. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, there's this opera called Il Pirata, you know, the pirate. El Pirata? Il Pirata. Pirata, you know, like <laughs> pirates. Nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> Where at the end, and usually these, these operas have a mad scene. Literally, the soprano goes mad. But, I mean, it is a very sexist device, but it is also 
the the, the showpiece. So right, yeah. so, a soprano shows kind of like it's almost kind of like the the kind of like forerunner to like Oscar obsessions with actors who are going yes. through a mental breakdown on yes. screen. Right? Yes. So it's it's a mad scene in in an opera. So there's a the mad scene at the end where. Uh, Imogene, Imogen, but like you know, she her, she's kind of like awaiting her lover's like hanging, and it's like it's set like a storm. There's like a storm, and she's going to like, you know, she's kind of like hallucinating this yeah. a little bit, and you have this like kind of like very gloomy orchestral passage, you know, of just kind of like the evocation of like dark rolling clouds, kind of like tumultuous sea. Right, and then just like you listen, and then like the orchestra kind of dies down, and there's this line that 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 you know the character, the soprano says, and it's, "Oh, se io potessi dissipar le nubi, chi magravan la fronte," and that means, "Oh, if only this uh, I could dispel, dissipar, like dissipate." the clouds that are like aggravating my forehead. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. And the way she sings it, and especially the one, there's the concert that she did in 1959 in, in, in New York. It's just like this like slow unfolding. It's like a meteor Ooh. where you kind of, she, she's, it's like silence and then just her voice singing this line. And this line has very little melody. Yeah. But the kind of like, weight and airiness that she gives it yeah. gives to it it's to my to this day this is that's like my favorite concert version of il pirata in new york 1959 maria Callas singing this one line everybody go look it, it up is, everybody <laughs> it is the i think one of the peaks of her i mean her many peaked arts this mm. but it is just you can look at the score and it follows the score. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? It is the part. It, it there's no deviation of the score. There's no kind of like cheap musical effect. It is like the score to letter T. But that that's that's her art. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm. This is has been it? great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, thanks for listening. I guess the next experiment in living for us in this house will be like uh, trying out cricket. We should all play cricket. <laughs> I've never wow, played cricket. That would be fun. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, hope you have a Thank nice you. week. We don't know what our topic is next week. If you have any suggestions, hit us up on Instagram. Follow us at No Small Thing. And if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast and you enjoy listening to this podcast, you could do two things. Okay, to help do us it. Out. Well, Mace is really eager to get a one thing a review. that you could do is you could write a review for us. That is could take twenty seconds to a minute just a quick one sentence review of what you think of the pod what you like it helps people find us Mm -hmm. so uh please go ahead do that it also helps us with our little egos and the second one is if you like this pod and you imagine anyone in your life that might also like it please share this with a friend or share it on instagram just kind of put the word out there we are seattle's number one podcast and we gotta spread the word thanks for listening everybody